I was like, oh my God, okay, I'm a journalist with Agenda. And now I'm so proudly saying it that I have an Agenda. And my Agenda is people. This is Know What You Think. I'm Zasha Rosen. War in the news gets kind of hard to watch. Conflict is presented kind of like sports, with two sides, one winning, one losing, end of the game, that's it. In real life, it's a lot more complex, and it tends to have more sides than only country A, country B, or governments versus terrorists. There's more complexity than that. The field of peace journalism reckons that war can be covered better than this. And by giving us more than just a zero-sum game, better journalism can offer ways of dealing with conflict that aren't just about violence and winning. Zainab Abdul-Nabi was a journalist for 10 years before becoming a PhD candidate at the University of Sydney in the Department of Peace and Conflict Studies. She's especially interested in using peace journalism to look at Al Jazeera's coverage of the Bahrain pro-democracy uprising during what was referred to as the Arab Spring in the international media. Hi, Zainab. Hi, how are you? So what is peace? So what is peace? It's maybe the absence of violence. Peace is when people have prosperity, when people have freedom of expression, when justice is in a place. Peace is not only the absence of violence. Peace is about people and how they are living and their conditions. The presence of justice and equal opportunities and equal distribution of wealth, all that is peace. When regular journalism is covering a story during a war or or during a civil war, how does it normally cover it? How does it work? That's a very good question, actually. Well, the mainstream media covers conflict, as you said in your beautiful introduction, as a sport, as two sides, one winning and the other is losing. A conflict is more than one side. It's more than two sides. For instance, the mainstream media, they want to be very objective, and we call it in peace journalism the regime of objectivity. They said, okay, we are objective, we take the opinions of the two sides of the story, but this is not all the story. There are the ordinary people, the marginalized, the sidelined, all these people have voice and should be covered as well. So in a regular news story, a news journalist will go to the field, will cover it, will see what's happening on the ground. If it's a war zone or if it's an explosion, he will report about how many were killed in this explosion, how many people get injured, for instance, and then they will gather their information from official sources because official sources are perceived as factual and they have more credibility than ordinary sources or ordinary people. That's how a regular news story is reported. Are there strengths of the traditional approach? Or do you think it's generally not a very strong way to do journalism? I don't think it is a very strong way to do journalism. I'm criticizing it, actually. And peace journalism came to revolt against this traditional journalism because it's very shallow. It doesn't tell you anything about this story. It just tells you how many were killed, how many were injured, what's happening on the ground. Almost like it's racking up numbers on a scorecard. Exactly. It doesn't tell you what's happening underground. It doesn't tell you why this is happening. It doesn't explain the conflict. It doesn't give you anything about the conflict formation. So you, as a listener or a viewer or uh, an audience, you will hear the story. You will know what's going on now here and now, 
but you'll not be able to understand why it did happen, what causes it, and what is the consequences and implications of it. Peace journalism is all about conflict resolution, it's all about peace building, it's all about conflict formation and context and background. So in order to cover a story, you have to mention why this story happened first, what leads to this story, what leads to this conflict. And if I'm talking about conflict, I'm not only talking about war zones, I'm talking about carbon tax, it can be a a conflict, for instance immigration policies can be a conflict. So conflict is each issue that has different opinion or conflicting opinion about it. Peace journalism is not only when it comes to war zones, it can be applied even in our daily journalism work. What other voices do you find? People, the women, the older people, the children, they don't see them on media. Like there are some studies saying that media neglect the women voice, for instance. Like 80% of people who are being interviewed on media are men, not women. So why women don't have voice on media? Why they are marginalized? Why the poor are marginalized? Like, for instance, if I'm talking about the Arab Spring or the protest, why don't I talk with poor people who protested, for instance? Or why don't I talk with peace activists who are trying and struggling to create peace in Syria, for instance? So there are many voices that are not on media. Like when you talk about refugees in Australia, you don't see refugees on TV. You just see them in some cultural channels, but you don't see them on the mainstream media in Australia. The U.S. media critic Jay Rosen, um, no relation, he likes to describe kind of like a cult of insiders that a lot of journalists who work at high level like to think of themselves as insiders in the political process. Is this part of the problem here? Journalists are part of the problem, but it's more than that. It's the media structure. It's the political structure. It is the traditional news values. For instance, in order to a news story to be newsworthy, it has to be current, it has to be dramatic, it has to be new, it has to happen now. You know, you have like lots of traditional conditions hindering the voice of the voiceless. So it's not only about journalists, it's not only about structure, it's about news values as well, traditional media practice. So it's the whole system. That's why beast journalism, it is an insurgent form because it's against everything. It's against media practice, political structure. It's against even news values. In a conflict, you don't only take the both sides. You take more than one side. You take more than two sides. You take three, four, five sides. And for media outlet to be convinced by this concept is really difficult. As I understand it, one of the key things in peace journalism as well is looking at something in the media called framing. Framing is... It's all about what you include in a coverage and what you exclude from a coverage. The way you frame a story. So in peace journalism, framing, it means when you include peace in coverage, when you include the people's voice in a coverage, when you include the background and information and context, when you include all these elements, you are creating a frame. If you are excluding the peace journalism elements, you are creating a war journalism framing. So you are creating a peace journalism frame or peace journalism frames if you are including the peace journalism elements. This is how framing is important. It's what you include in a coverage 
and what you exclude because it affects your understanding to the conflict. So war journalism is the more sports-like journalism with winners and losers. Exactly. And peace journalism, I understand, is meant to be more like medical journalism. Exactly. That's, that's a nice description. It's like health journalism. If you have a disease like cancer or something and you want to fight cancer, how can you fight it? You have to talk about the causes of it. What's the medicines? How can we cure it? This is how peace journalism works. I have a conflict. I'm aiming to resolve it. What's causing it? What's the problem here? I have to go to the roots of the problem in order to cure it. Like what happened in medical journalism, I have to look for the problems or the disease and how it happened and how can I cure it? Journalism should work the same way. And it sounds like like medical journalism, it's not about assigning blame, it's about getting things fixed. Exactly, exactly, getting things fixed. The peace journalism definition is when you give peace opportunities so you can get non-violent responses to conflict. Peace journalism is your field now, like it's something that you study now. But looking back on your career in journalism, which started in Bahrain and ended up in Australia at SBS over about 10 years, between 2002 and 2013, early in your career, you can kind of see what you were doing as peace journalism back then, even though you didn't know what it was called. What were you doing? What makes you think that? Let me be honest about that. I was one of those war journalists as well. I wasn't a peace journalist myself. So I was practicing some of peace journalism, but I wasn't aware of it. When I started, I thought that you have to include both sides in the story in order to make it sound objective. Otherwise, I am biased or I will be criticized by my colleagues and by my editor. So I was aware of all that and I don't have the theory of it. So my colleagues were accusing me of being biased whenever I include the voice of the voiceless or the voice of the ordinary people or the voice of human rights activists. So ordinarily you might include, say, the government and opposition and they were getting upset that you included more voices than just those two? So I was editing um, a human rights page in Al Wasat newspaper when I was working in Bahrain. And at that time, officials actually refused to talk to us. And human rights activists talk to us sometimes, but there are the people. So I had these options just sometimes to include the voice of the ordinary people, especially when I talk about discrimination, especially when I talk about poverty, especially when I talk about unemployment. So when I get this story, my colleagues would say, well, this is not journalism. This is not objective. You know, this is not professional. This is not balanced. And between me and myself, at that time, I didn't have any academic background about peace journalism. I was thinking, oh my God, like I'm an advocate journalist or something, maybe included in this story. I'm not really objective. So I was thinking of myself like that. But now, realizing what peace journalism is, I know what I was doing was part of peace journalism. Why did you want to include those voices? at the time? Maybe it's something in myself. I care about people, I care about human rights, and I do have a belief that these people should be heard, should be covered. And they are suffering. They are suffering from discrimination. They are suffering from poverty. And if I'm having a human rights page, then their voices should be prioritized. That's what I'm thinking in myself, but I wasn't daring enough 
to announce it or to declare it. I was like, oh my God, okay, I'm a journalist with agenda. But what kind of agenda? With people agenda. That was my agenda. And now I'm so proudly saying it that I have an agenda. And my agenda is people. The voice of the voiceless. Your PhD focuses especially on two areas, one of which is the protests in Bahrain in 2011 during what was called the Arab Spring. And you look at how the different framings really affect the way that the journalism comes out. And you're looking at Al Jazeera in both its English and its Arabic versions. What did you notice? In terms of Bahrain's uprising, I have noticed that Al Jazeera framing was so sectarian. So it presented the conflict as a conflict between Shia protesters and a regime. Just to be clear, Shia is one of the two main versions of Islam. There are less Shia in the world than there are Sunni. There are less Shia in the world than Sunnis, that's right. They are 15% in the world. However, they are the majority of people in Bahrain. So they make up the majority of people in Bahrain, like 65% to 70%. So the majority of people are Shias who are struggling against the Al-Khalifa regime or the Bahraini regime. Al Jazeera coverage portrayed and framed the conflict in Bahrain as a sectarian conflict between Shia Muslims and Sunni Muslims, between Shia protesters and the Sunni regime. And they just screwed it up. This is not the reality. So one of the reasons that was easy is because the regime is, is mainly made up of Sunnis. That's right. And the assumption is that Sunnis will be on the same side by the media. And I'm not saying that their framing was sectarian because they intended to, but they didn't do their research. They didn't go to the background, to the context, to the conflict formation. The majority of the protesters are Shia. That's not any true. That's true. The majority were Shia. But why they were Shia? That's the question, because they were discriminated against by the government, by the regime. And these protesters, these Shia people are not against the regime because the regime is Sunni. No, they are against the regime because they are demanding democracy, human rights and political reform. So if you exclude all these demands and just say the protesters were Shia, and the government is Sunni, then you will come up with a conclusion that the conflict in Bahrain is sectarian, whereas the conflict in Bahrain is not sectarian. The conflict in Bahrain is part of the Arab Spring and Arab uprisings, people who are revolting and uprising against dictatorship, full stop, whether they are Sunni or whether they are Shias. That's their problem, democracy. So if you don't call them pro democracy protesters, and you call them just Shia protesters, then here you are framing them as sectarian and you are delegitimizing their demands and their struggle. So that's the problem of war journalism. You just take the shallow things, just the shallow descriptions. Oh, these are Shias, the government are Sunnis, Shia-Sunni conflict, and that's it. Without focusing on what led to that. Shias are revolting because they were discriminated against since 1983 when Al-Khalifa invaded the country. 
Shia of Bahrain are the indigenous people of the country, like the Aborigines here. So if you say Shia of Bahrain are the indigenous country and they are discriminated against, although they are majority, then you are framing the conflict in a proper way. However, if you delete all that, if you exclude all that, you are framing the conflict as a sectarian conflict. And that's a good example of war journalism. Do you think that war journalism, an abstract thing, changes things in real life? It changed the people's understanding. And what does that lead to? Like, for instance, if you see not lots of Arab people were sympathizing with Bahrain's uprising or knowing what's going on in Bahrain because of the media. So media is facilitating protest movement. For instance, Al Jazeera did excellent work in Egypt. Al Jazeera did excellent work in Tunisia. Without Al Jazeera, without its facilitative role, you will not see the downfall maybe of the regimes. I'm not exaggerating a lot about the role of media, but it played a significant role. So if you facilitate people's struggle in Egypt and Tunisia and Libya and Syria, and you don't facilitate the same struggle in Bahrain, then you don't make people sympathize with this revolution. Although the United States has a strong relationship with the Egyptian regime, they were not able to support Hosni Mubarak because of the media, because of people, because all world is watching. When CNN appeared, there was no chance to commit any human rights violations explicitly or in a clear way because... There was a very popular phrase, all world are watching. So you cannot kill people if the world is watching. You cannot violate or you cannot crack down heavily on people if the whole world is watching. However, if you don't have any media coverage and people are just shouting in vain, then you can do whatever and you can silence them. And from 2011 until now, until 2017, people are struggling using peaceful methods, peaceful means, without any media coverage. Do you think they get more coverage if it was seen as like a violent conflict? That's the problem. That's why there are voices now in Bahrain calling for violence. They say, okay, we don't want to impress the world anymore. No one is supporting us. The West is not supporting us. We don't want human rights organizations' statements. That's enough. This doesn't change the reality. Let's use violence. So, not focusing on human rights violations and not focusing on peaceful struggle can make it unpeaceful, can make it violent. And this is what's happening now in Bahrain. There are many voices demanding using violent method because they say, okay, we have lots of political prisoners. We have lots of martyrs, people who were killed while protesting peacefully and no one is caring about us. Let's use violence. Maybe it works, you know? So that's why giving them voice and focusing on struggle is very important. That's why media is very important. It can enhance the human rights situation, for instance. If there was pressure on the Al-Khalifa regime to stop human rights violations and to give voice of the voiceless, then the reality will change, I think. Zainab, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. We'll put a link up to Zainab's earlier article on peace journalism on our show page and in the podcast notes for this episode. You can hear more episodes of Not What You Think at fbiradio.com slash notwhatyouthink and four seasons worth of archived episodes. 
And there's a whole bunch of other great FBI podcasts at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. Not What You Think was produced by Lachlan Wiley, show art by Annie Hamilton. Linda DeLacy is production consultant. It was created by Laura Briley, Claire Holland, and me. I'm Zasha Rosen. Next week, Ordinary Drones.